morning once again. My name is Michael Hayes, one of the pastors here at St. John's, and if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we welcome you and uh, hope that God touches your heart this morning. Uh, guests and everyone else alike, would love for you to take that little handout and rip this thing off and fill it out. We'd love to know that you're worshiping here with us this morning. And additionally, if you have any prayer requests or any pastoral care concerns, please write those on the back. We want to pray for you this week. We want to care for you in any way you can. And uh, we'll collect those after the offering later on in the service. And if the sermon gets bored, you can write a whole bunch of stuff uh, on there, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, if you are a guest, though, uh, we have a welcome table out in the courtyard. And we'd love for you to take this uh, card out there after the service. And we have a special gift for you to welcome you here to St. John's. A couple announcements before we get into a, a sermon this morning. just want to highlight for us is that we have a congregational assembly coming up. So this is kind of a little bit family business. If you're part of the St. John's Church family, uh, May 15th, there will be a uh, voters assembly. That will be a time where we will uh, nominate new leaders. And so you can go online and you can make uh, nominations for anyone you'd like to nominate for the different offices that are available. Uh, additionally, we talk about connect, grow, and share here at St. John's quite a bit. And that last part, share, sharing Christ with our words, service, and resources. We've got a couple opportunities coming up. Uh, one is foster care ministry, where we uh, give caregivers a day off. And that's actually happening on April 21st, next Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. encourage you to go online or look in the handout that we've given you. There's more information there. Another opportunity is for us to bless our city. And Love Orange is coming up. It's the second year we've done this. It's on April 28th at 8 a.m. And if you go online there, it's really cool. Love Orange, there's all, you can sign up, and there's all sorts of different things you can do, different times during the day. There's even opportunity uh, for you to learn a little bit. There's a homelessness uh, 101 class, and so it's pretty cool, and Pastor Nathan's been working on that quite a bit, so I encourage you to look at that and see if there's any way uh, that you can serve. I think last year we had 100 and some people, and I think the goal is 200 and some people serving uh, our city here in Orange. And then finally, we're continuing our uh, worship sermon series, uh, More Power. We're digging in the book of Ephesians. And so you can go online, too. We have a little reading plan to help you uh, go through the book of Ephesians over these five weeks. And so that's what we're going to get into. And uh, that's what I want to talk about this morning. And in your handout, there's scripture there. You can follow along as well. But um, let's pray for God to bless um, his word coming into our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray, praise and thank you for a chance to come and worship you this morning. What a gift it is to be able to come to this oasis each week to put aside all the things that are distracting us and focus on your grace and your mercy and your love for us and the peace that we find in Jesus. Pray, Lord, that that peace would come upon us in powerful ways this morning, that your word would speak deeply to us. Guard our hearts and our minds. Let your spirit work powerfully in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I said, we're continuing our sermon series, and it's kind of talking about more power. And our theme verse for this series comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. Now, last week, Pastor Nathan unpacked the nature of that power, how St. Paul was praying to the Ephesian Christians. He was praying for them, praying that they would know the hope of God, praying that they would know the inheritance of God, 
and praying, most importantly, that they would know, verse 19, his incomparably great power. That power is for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted, verse 20, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That power. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is for us who believe. That power has made us alive in Christ. And as St. Paul tells us today in the text, that power working in Jesus, that power reconciled two very hostile people groups, brought them together in peace. As we'll see in a moment, that peace, it's true, it's real, it's deep-seated, yet that peace is also highly complex, it's multi-layered, and it's in process. Now, peace is something that humanity has struggled with for a long time. And on some levels, when we think of peace, we see things in our lives and we see progress, right? But on other levels, we look at our lives and we look at the church and we look at the world and we see that maybe we've digressed a bit. I was watching The Greatest Showman with my kids the other day. Anybody seen that movie before? All right. I've got two hands over there. I was watching The Greatest Showman just this past week with my kids. And it's set in the 1800s. And those are different times when it comes to racial relations, right? And so anyway, one of the main characters is a guy named Philip Carlyle. He's a young, white playwright coming from a rich and elite family. But he's attracted, however, to a lady named Ann Wheeler. Ann Wheeler is an introverted, audacious, self-conscious African-American woman, confident, experienced, trapezed artist. Philip, a white male, falls in love with her, an African-American female. Despite the racist and elitist culture which he is raised in, he decides to take her to the theater. His parents see him there with this woman. They chastise him, they chastise her, they degrade him, they publicly demean him for bringing a woman like her to the theater. Racism of the 1800s. And I'm watching this with my kids, and my kids are trying to process it, and my kids didn't even understand what was going on. They didn't know why the parents would be so upset with their son, a white male, wanting to date an African-American female. And so on the one hand, I had to admit that I was so glad that my children had none of those racist categories in their minds. It wasn't even in there. They couldn't even comprehend what that was all about. And to me, that's a sign of progress. We might be able to look around and see different signs of progress in our lives. But as I was thinking, of course, it made me think of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., It made me think of his assassination that happened exactly 50 years ago, just this past April 4th, 11 days ago. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he led a movement to bring peace on earth, yet he was assassinated. And so we ask ourselves, have have his efforts worked? He was killed for his efforts, but have those efforts worked nonetheless? This past Christmas, our theme was peace on earth. Last year, I came across a book my wife was reading, and it, one of the chapters in there had, had a, a sermon by Martin Luther King, Jr. It was his last Christmas Eve sermon that he ever preached 50 years, 50 Christmas Eves ago, and it was titled Peace on Earth. It's a powerful sermon. He preached it four months before he was assassinated. It opened my eyes a lot. Humanity has been struggling for a long time 
to find peace. And on the one hand, we see progress when our kids don't even understand what racism is. When I talk to my friends who are of different cultures and different racial backgrounds, I see progress. I saw it in my seminary training, which had 17 ethnic and racial groups with 22 different languages represented. When I was studying with my brothers in Christ there, I saw progress. I saw it in my youth group when I was a youth pastor up in the Bay Area. It was one of the most multicultural group of kids I ever had a chance to work with. It was progress for peace. Yet on the other hand, we things, see things like Charlottesville, right? And we can name a whole bunch of other things, and we wonder about progress. We wonder about peace. And we have conversations with our kids around the dinner table trying to explain to them the insanity of white supremacist movements. And at the same time, many of us who are white, we don't really know the trauma of it all, actually. And so we ask ourselves, has there been progress for peace? Do we have power for peace on earth? St. Paul, in our text today, he begins to teach us. He begins to open our minds about this concept of peace. He's talking about two people groups who were very at odds with each other. And it could be described as racism or ethnocentrism or elitism or all of that kind of mixed together. It was the Jews and the Gentiles. They were opposing people groups. St. Paul says in verse 13, he's writing to the Ephesians. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that was the Gentiles, that's you and me. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Now, what's St. What's Paul talking about there? See, part of the conflict with the Jews and the Gentiles had to do with the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, in the temple that Herod had constructed, there was actually a physical dividing wall of hostility. It was called the Soreg. Here's a picture of it. And so the Gentiles, they were kept from going in. You see all those arrows are pointing to this little wall. It was the dividing wall of hostility. It was actually four and a half feet tall. I could barely see over it if I was there. Four and a half feet tall. So the Gentiles, they could come close to the church. They could come close to the temple. They could look over the wall, maybe look in through the gate, but they were not allowed to enter the temple, not allowed to enter the place where God chose to dwell with his people. They were outsiders. In fact, if they entered, they could die. In fact, there was an actual sign on the wall. Archaeologists found it in 1871. It looks just like this. Can you read it? All right, it's in Greek. I'll translate it for you. Basically, let's have the translation throw up there. It says this, the dividing wall warning. It says, let no foreigner enter. So doing will be the cause that death overtakes him. So you could see why there was a bit of tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that even carried over into the Christian church the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians actually had tension with each other. Racial tensions, ethnocentric tensions, elitist tensions. And so St. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, verse 14, he says, 
He himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He has made the two groups into one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of his hostility. Verse 15, he says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Their hostility was nailed into his hands. The hostility was pierced in his side. The hostility was crushed upon his head in the crown of thorns. St. Paul continues in verse 17. He says, Jesus came. He came and he preached peace. Peace to you Gentiles who were far away and peace to those who were near the Jewish people. For through him, through Jesus, we both, St. Paul, a Jew, is saying to these Gentiles, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jews and Gentiles are brought close to God in Christ. Jews and Gentiles in Christ are brought close to each other. Then verse 19, some powerful verse. Consequently, St. Paul says, you, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're no longer illegal aliens. You are fellow citizens with God's people. And not only fellow citizens of the same heavenly country, but you are also members of God's household. You're family. You're a holy family. Pastor Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message, the paraphrase of the Bible, he makes some powerful observations about this text in Ephesians and the working and the powerful working of peace in the world. He notes first that St. Paul identifies in verse 14, he said, Jesus is our peace. And then in verse 15, he says, Jesus makes peace. And then in verse 17, he says that Jesus preaches peace. And then he elaborates it even further. And Jesus is doing all the work. It says, we are brought near by Jesus. Jesus has made the two groups into one. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. He's created one new humanity. And he's reconciled both these groups to God. In a simple way, we could put it this way. Jesus, he brings us home. Jesus brings us together. Jesus breaks down hostility. Jesus recreates us as a new, unified humanity. Jesus reconciles all of us to God. And when we kind of think about that and we look at that text more and we really spend some time with it and we think, we see all the things that are going on with peace, we begin to realize that peace is not as simple as we first thought. Maybe we just can't give peace a chance and it's done. Maybe we just can't take a test and learn about peace and, and pass the test and then we found peace. We live in a complex world with complex problems and we see peace and we see lack of peace. We see progress and we see digression. And we begin to learn here that peace is complex. Peace is multi-layered. A lot of action goes into making peace. And according to Ephesians, according to St. Paul, Jesus is the action. Now, all of that kind of sounds nice and it sounds theological and it sounds good job, pastor. Let's go home and feel good about ourselves. 
But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, if we actually believe St. Paul is right in what he was saying, there might be a disconnect going on in our hearts, in our lives, in our experience. We might be driven to ask, why isn't there peace? And especially, why is there a lack of peace even within the church? Even within our church. See, sometimes there's a disconnect between Jesus, our peace, as the scripture says, and what looks like a war zone in the church. Sometimes we see the war zone in the church. We see it in our Christian marriages, in our Christian families, in our relationships with other believers. We see a lack of diversity in the church. We see racial tensions and hostilities even in the church. Why isn't everything 100% absolutely peaceful in the church and by extension in the world? Pastor Peterson, he notes some three things, and he says this. I think it's pretty powerful. He says it all has to do with the way, the manner in which Jesus is our peace. St. Paul says Jesus is our peace, but what way is he? What manner is he? How is he our peace? And the first thing that he notes, I think it's very powerful, that Jesus, first of all, is a person. And that means that peace is actually personal. To participate in peace is to participate in Jesus, to participate in a relationship with him. Peace isn't a strategy. Peace isn't a program. Peace isn't a political action. Peace is not an educational process. Peace isn't a test or a subject we learn about in school. Peace is a personal interaction with Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior. Amen. The second part is that Jesus respects us as people. He respects us as persons. And that means that he does not impose peace. Jesus does not coerce us. Jesus doesn't force himself upon us to bring peace. And I learned about this when I read Martin Luther King Jr.'s Christmas Eve sermon this past year. He preached on this 50 years ago. And he talked about any peace, okay, if the end goal is peace. Powerful sermon. I encourage you to find it and read it. He says, any peace that is gained by non-peaceful means is not peace. Let me say that again. Any peace that is gained by non-peaceful means is not peace. Basically, he's saying, if the end goal is peace, that means that peace the means toward peace must be peaceful because the ends and the means are intricately connected. Apply that to Jesus and to his relationship with us. Jesus treats us with dignity. Jesus is at work bringing us peace, bringing us into a life of connectedness with him and with each other, a life of love to, with him and with each other. And bringing that sort of peace that takes a long time. He doesn't push us around. He doesn't make us shut up. He doesn't censor us. He doesn't shut us up so we don't disturb the peace. And because of that, peace is always in process, and peace is always being brought to us new generation after generation. Peace is never a finished product this side of heaven. And then the third thing, Jesus became our peace, and it ties into that treating us persons with dignity and respect. Jesus became our peace through sacrifice. 
by the blood of Christ, through the cross of Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus is what makes Jesus Jesus, is what makes peace peace. Jesus brings us peace, and that peace is true, and it's real, and it's deep-seated, yet it is highly complex. It is multi-layered, and it's in process. Think about it this way. Not one of us is a part of this church or we're admitted to this church because we have great peacemaking skills. We are not here because we have ultimately been the best peacemakers in the world. We all have a lot of growing up to do. Learning to worship God as personal, that Jesus is personal. Learning to accept and embrace each other as personal family members, not strangers, not competitors, not someone who is worse than us, not someone we think we are better than. And we have a lot to learn about following Jesus sacrificially. Martin Luther King Jr., he gave his life for peace. And in so doing, he followed the way of Jesus. And we might ask ourselves, has it made a difference I think so. I've seen it in my own life, and I hope that we, as individuals and as a church community, that we will see it more, that we will see peace across racial lines, across gender lines, across political lines, across cultural lines, across socioeconomic lines. How? It's only through Jesus. Jesus is our peace. It's only through the power that we have in him that we can be peacemakers in this world. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.